Welcome to TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you so much for joining us. Our podcast series detailing the work of Trek Think Tank continues today with technology. But as you'll see, the conversation that unfolds between Scott Rorman of 42 Real Estate and Matthew Fisher of Tech Fisher Solutions is actually more about sustainability. They highlight some really cool and useful emerging technologies that are likely to integrate into the building process of the future as Dallas approaches mandates within the climate action plan that the city released last year. But first, let's take a step back. You might be wondering, what is Trek Think Tank? And that's a good question. Trek Think Tank was an initiative born out of the public policy part of our organization that sought out big picture solutions to potential complications to Dallas's long-term city planning directives for up to 50 years in the future. We split our Think Tank members into teams based on several focus areas, mobility, community and culture, technology, governance, and housing. And this is the third episode of our series analyzing their research over the last two years. We've already published two episodes from our Think Tank series on mobility and community and culture, and we've linked to them in the show notes. So once you're finished listening to Scott and Matthew, go check those out. While you're at it, make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. It's the best way to get all new episodes right to your mobile device. We put out new episodes almost every week. We share event replays, roundtable discussions, and exclusive interviews like this one that you won't find anywhere else. We're also on social media, so go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates from around the organization. Now, here's Scott Rorman and Matthew Fisher talking technology and sustainability right here on TrackCast. All right, Matt, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. So the title of y'all's committee was? Technology Committee. Technology. So it's the Real Estate Council Think Tank program has a technology committee. So we have a community and culture committee. We have a mobility committee, um, other committees, and you were on the technology committee. Correct. Thanks for being here to talk about it. Absolutely. Excited to talk about some things that are going to shake up the real estate industry. And that's kind of fascinating. So um, what are some things that are going to shake up the real estate industry? So for Dallas, most specifically, uh, with the Climate Action Control Plan that was released April 22nd of this year. Um, okay, so let's. So the city of Dallas's city council passed in April of 2020 a what? The Dallas Climate Control Action Plan. Okay, and what is that? So Eric Johnson, who's our mayor, and uh, and his council put together a complete package that outlines if we are going to become a more sustainable city yep. and sustainability across the board, not just necessarily real estate and buildings, but food, water, trash, yep. and things of the like. Um, they said, here are the necessary steps in order for that to take place. We want to promote this in our city. We want to promote this in our state. And this is what we think it's going to take to do it. And so they released that plan in April and uh, it's got some exciting things that are coming up. That's cool. So one of the things you, in our discussion earlier before we hit record, I think you were saying that starting in 2030, every building that's built has to what? Has to be net zero energy. So every building, even homes, even homes. apartments, mm -hmm. if it's a building, it's got to be net zero energy. 
So it's got to produce as much energy as it consumes. Correct. And what are the ways it can produce energy? So as we discussed in the Texas market, solar and wind are going to be your top two. Yeah. Uh, there's also geothermal. That's not necessarily something that, you know, it can be done. It's a little bit more expensive. Well, I think in Iceland, they heat everything with geothermal. They do. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so that's interesting. So you're going to see a lot of technology start driving things to be able to be net zero energy. That's correct. And now we have net zero positive as well to where if your building and the ecosystem around it feeds more power than the building requires, then you actually put that back into the existing grid infrastructure yeah. so you can help reduce the peak power demand. So, of the so put it back into the grid. I think I know what the grid is, but the grid is just a bunch of wires that's carrying electricity to where it's needed, right? That's right. So I'm going to ask a really stupid question, but in our pre-conference, you brought up AC and DC. Is the grid all AC or is it DC? It's all AC. It's all AC. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about um, low power buildings and the Fort Worth building. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So the Sinclair Marriott in downtown Fort Worth, um, headed up by Farouk and his Sinclair Holdings team, did a fantastic job in outlining what a DC low voltage building needs to look like. And so being a hospitality building, a, a, a hotel, um, they said, okay, well, we want all the lights. Um, we want all the controls. We want as much as we can on low voltage power. And low voltage is always going to be DC power. And so that not only decreased the power demand for the building, making it more efficient, but also when you have a intelligence behind every single edge device. Like an Internet of Things. Like an Internet of Things. Yeah, right. okay. So now you have this network that you've created. So it's an intelligent, low-voltage network all through PoE, that power over Ethernet technology we talked about. And okay, so, so the people listening to the podcast weren't there when we when we were talking. So yeah. PoE is? Power over Ethernet. Power over Ethernet. So let me try to be – I'm going to be – I'm really slow on this stuff, but I think I got it. When you hook in your – telephone like a desk phone you're not plugging the phone into the wall you're getting your power through your phone cable the same way that the signal of the phone signals coming through correct so can a television run over poe power over ethernet yes it can so you don't really need to have an ethernet cable for your smart tv and a three-prong 110 plug you can run that whole TV just off the Ethernet cable if the world were so inclined. Yes. And that's what Sinclair did. And that's what Sinclair did. Yes. Okay. So is the whole building DC? Not the whole building, but uh, obviously, as we talked about earlier, you have larger applications like elevators and uh, condensing coil units for HVAC. They're very large, kind of complicated uh, pieces so, of equipment. So at this point, I think what you're telling me is, is that there are some things that are more difficult to turn to, to DC, but we could still do a whole lot of a building in DC. Yes. Okay. So, you know, did you see that movie, the current wars? I did. It was a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, what's the war? If people haven't seen it, I, I recommend seeing it. I really thought it was a great movie, but what was the current war? So the current war features 
Thomas Edison and and Nikolai Tesla, kind of pitting them against one another. Um, and of course, Hollywood had a little bit of magic in there. But from what I understand, uh, Tesla was hired by Edison at some point in time during his uh, earlier years working in America. And Tesla was very big on this vision that he had for an alternating current motor. And Edison was all about direct current. And back then they were trying to, as we talked about earlier, the grid is everywhere around us now. That's very much in part because of these two gentlemen. And so when Edison was trying to feature his grid, you had direct current being the main form of, of power transfer. And so that was limited uh, because of several factors in distance. And so they tried to say one is safer, one is not. Uh, but when it boiled down to it, an AC power infrastructure is safer in longer distances because it didn't incur something called voltage drop. You would have to have a very large cable to send high power DC through it far enough to be able to get the power that you needed at the end. That's not the case with AC. That's why we have an AC grid. Okay, so we have an AC grid, but I think what you're saying is is we might want to be looking at DC buildings, buildings that run mostly on DC, like the Sinclair Marriott, because it uses less power. You have essentially half the amount of cabling. You don't have to put these cables in fireproof conduits, right? Is that correct? Correct. So if it's low voltage, if it's low voltage, which is DC. Correct. Well, you can have DC high voltage and DC low voltage. Okay. Well, anything. so you're beyond me now, but anyway, <laughs> okay. So, so that's interesting because over time, um, it's going to be a lot easier to build buildings on, um, direct current. It should save money and it should save power. Is that right? Yes. Think of an existing building infrastructure. You have two risers, if you will, in the building. Well, technically three, if you count mechanical but you have your, your networking infrastructure riser, and you also have your high power electrical riser. Think of eventually, if we are going to consolidate those two into one another, you have a single riser for power and data and the same cable in the same riser through your building. So and then point. if somebody puts a nail through that cable and it's a DC cable, they're not gonna get electrocuted to their death, whereas if you do that with AC, you would. So. I'm not going to claim that I know too much about electrocution DC okay. versus AC, but what I can say is there's technology out there like Volt Server out of New York that can send high voltage DC much further than 300 feet because of their technology. And so they are making high voltage DC much safer over long distances. Yeah. So, so you think it makes a lot of sense to do what um, Sinclair Marriott did? Absolutely. So that's one of the ways that you're going to get to a net zero building on an energy basis is by having low voltage because you're using less energy. Correct. And I guess LED lights can run off of low voltage. They do. They do run off of low. Yeah. So we now have technology with lighting to be able to have really brighter light than incandescent and it uses a lot less energy. Yes, so, so an interesting thing about incandescent and LED is that an incandescent light bulb has to build up a certain amount of heat before it can emit, a, a, before it can emit light. 
LED, it's almost instantaneous. So it's very more efficient in the power that it consumes to emit more of a light wave than a heat wave and a light wave simultaneously. So that's and why it, LEDs are cool to the touch. Yeah, and, and they never need to build the heat up to transmit the light. Correct. Yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, and you're telling me that televisions and a bunch of other things in these buildings, in our buildings, can run off of this same type of technology. Yes. So if, for instance, if you wanted to build a net zero energy home, which may be easier for some folks to understand, you would need to have DC appliances. You would need to have a DC HVAC system. Obviously, we have, as we talked about, there's existing PoE slash low voltage lighting. Uh, all of your audio video is typically low voltage. And so the technology is there. It's communicating to the manufacturers and saying that the transition from an AC interface to a DC interface needs to take place. And that pretty much rounds out your ecosystem. So if you have an entirely DC building or home, you are using about a third less electricity than if it's AC converting to DC at the edge. Because as we talked about, almost all appliances and, and electrical devices in the IoT spectrum use direct current, not alternating current. Okay, so let's back up on, on that. Let me try to repeat that back and make sure I understand it. So all most, if not all, appliances that we're using these days that are a part of the Internet of Things, they're connected to the internet and have sensors and so forth most if not all of those are a dc environment yes they use dc but it's converted from yeah. the alternating current so you plug into the source. wall right and and talk about charging my phone so basically we're taking tell me how that we're going from ac to dc to charge my phone is that right right so in in the phone analogy that I gave earlier, if you're plugging in your phone to the wall, to the 110 or 120 volt uh, electrical outlet, you have to have that little brick or ballast that is provided. Same thing with your laptop. And your phone needs maybe 18 to 20 volts to charge, but you're being supplied 120 at the wall. So two things happen. That ballast's job is to make sure that the phone gets the necessary power to charge. So since it's being powered more than what it needs, it actually has to convert alternating current to direct current since it's an electrical device. And so that typically takes about 20 to 33% of the overall power supplied. And that's an inefficiency in conversion. You're so losing you're, 20 to 33% of energy use yes. just to convert it from one form to another form. Correct. And that's for everything that's plugged into an AC outlet yeah, that uses DC. Because on my laptop computer, I have a cord that has this big box halfway down the cord. And right. that's eating up 22 to 30 percent of the energy just to change it to the type of energy that my laptop can have because what's coming out of the wall is not the right kind that my laptop needs. Correct. And so the other part in the loss of power to charge a low voltage DC device is where it takes the excess energy left over after that conversion. So you still have too much after the conversion loss from AC to DC. And then it gives off that excess energy as heat. So that's why that box. That's why my when I plug in my phone for a while, it gets hot. Correct. That, that uh, brick or ballast on your laptop or phone that will get that will get hot. It's giving off that excess energy. It doesn't. Need it's to designed to do that. It's not like being. I always thought maybe it was about to go out. No, no. It's it's designed to do that. And and so several applications at the edge have those built-in ballasts or heat sinks to enable that conversion process and to give off that excess heat. So whether it's your lights um, or even televisions, also have it printers, anything that's an and, and so if we go to direct current, 
we don't need that. Correct. That's uh, interesting. So, um, like, um, so Tesla Automotive, are they using direct current or alternating current? Both. Why is that? Well, Tesla, as we talked about, invented the AC motor. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tesla back in the, the late 1900s, uh, or excuse me, 18, 1800s. And Tesla Motor Company very much uses that same motor d initial design to power and move their vehicles, but they also use a DC lithium ion battery to charge and discharge that energy to the motor to be able to use that. So they're using vehicles. a combination. They are. So there is still an application to use alternating current. Yes. But what we can do is not be as dependent upon alternating current and go more to a direct current model and save 30% or more in energy use. Yes. And if, if I was a listener saying, now, wait a minute, what about this AC grid? And how are we going to get DC power through an AC grid? And we talked about voltage drop um, with the DC being the main reason we have an AC infrastructure. This is where our design professionals for sustainability will design what's called a DC microgrid ecosystem. So a microgrid is off of the main grid for a city infrastructure. And you have your own power supply, which would be solar, wind, those things we talked about earlier. And it directly feeds that building and all of its applications. And then as we talked about with net positive energy, if it is tied into the city grid, it can discharge that extra energy into the grid to lower the peak power demand and to help the, uh, the electrical surges that you have during you know any type of, of weather yeah. events and things of that nature. So I think I got a little lost, but I'm going to just assume I understood it. But I might not have understood it. That was, a, that was, that was very impressive, and I'm not sure I'm smart enough to get it. But basically, it's kind of like at some point, if, if when all this was being invented with Tesla and Edison, we had all these phones and stuff, everybody might have said, well, let's just go D.C., and, but the problem is, is there's some things that need alternating current, like a motor, a Tesla car is using an alternating current motor because of the torque. And it's, is that what you told me earlier? Correct. And so uh, right now, at least elevators and really big HVAC units for a big, tall office building are going to work better on an alternating current. So it's interesting what, if we had started with DC, we would be saying, wow, we need to create an AC grid to be able to run these huge air conditioning units. And we would have to spend a lot of money just to get these air conditioning units. But it's actually a benefit. We built over the last 200 years a, a, an AC grid. And now we already have that high capital infrastructure invested and we can go to DC for a lot less money. Is that right? Yes, so so there's no reason to to pull out the AC infrastructure and put in a DC infrastructure. You can um, just lay the DC on top or beside it. You could, you could. And absolutely, they need to work in tandem while we're transitioning from AC to DC where it makes sense. Um, but, you know, at the same point in time, if you want to develop a smart city and you want to have power supplied for very long durations, for example, smart uh, lighting posts. Yeah that's going to require an AC infrastructure if you don't have solar panels in place on those lights uh, because of the distance that is required to get that power out to remote areas, which is why, once again, why we have an AC infrastructure. 
So we can use our current, we don't have to say, oh, everything's bad, we did AC. We can use it to our benefit, but we ought to still be looking at maybe putting solar panels on every single light deal. And then if that was the case, the solar panel would generate energy from the sun. It would give a DC current to the LED light in the um, street light. And there you go. Exactly. So going back to our cell phone, laptop, power loss analogy earlier, the same thing is in the building. And so if we were able to mitigate that conversion loss from AC to DC, your building, just like the Sinclair building, would become a third more efficient with the overnight. same- Overnight. Overnight. With the same uh, with the same functionality, same operability, and as we talked about, even increased um, intelligence because now you have a cabling infrastructure that not only supplies power, it also can transfer data to and from that device at the edge. So if we reduce the peak power demand on our buildings and on our homes by switching to more of a hybrid format for AC and DC, then now the climate control action plan that's been released can be more uh, easily realized because if your home is more efficient, you're using less power to power. You don't have to generate as much power to get net zero. Exactly. So when you go with DC and you reduce the conversions, you also don't need as much solar. You don't need as much wind. You're making everything more efficient. Yeah. That's interesting. I guess the electricians might not be happy with this. Well, the electricians are pivotal to everything that we've done with anything electrical, obviously, anything with uh, you know mechanical systems and also networking. A lot of electricians have a department for low voltage and high voltage applications. Electricians might be a little weary of the future in cabling and networking because we can combine everything into a single cable and to our point, we were talking about- And it's about low it. voltage, so you don't have to like be worried about killing yourself when you're installing Correct. it. Correct. So low voltage applications are going to be safer. Um, they're going to be easier to install. And because we don't have the fireproofing and things that are required by the state, such as you know conduit and things of that nature. And so you can essentially take, um, in some markets like Texas, you can take uh, a networking vendor or an a audio video vendor and you can say, hey, I need you to not just install what you've always done for me with WAPs and, and speakers and televisions, but now I want you to install my lights. I want you to do my access card readers. I want you to it, do everything else. It, it seems to me that, I don't know, I haven't talked to electricians to get their viewpoint. There's always two sides. But it seems to me if I was an electrician, I would just be really working hard to build my low voltage division. And they have been. And they see what's coming. And, you know, you have, you have folks that are really excited about it. And then you have others that are that are more uh, traditionally focused that says, hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, you know, so like you said, there's certainly two sides. But if we want to be able to hit the sustainability numbers that we talked about, then we're going to have to – there's going to be some give and take somewhere. And I think that that's where it's going to take place is that scope. That's interesting. So um, how does this where, – where does 5G play in all this? Maybe changing the subject a little bit, but maybe building on it. Sure. So, so 5G is, is a local distributed network where it's not necessarily like an LTE that is um, you know, on radio towers and cell towers and things of that nature. 5G is much more going to be at the city level. Yeah. And so you might have lampposts and things of that nature that have a, a 5G node on them. And it's going to add a tremendous level of connectivity to obviously our, our infrastructure, 
but if you want to transform a built environment more easily into a smart city, you have to have something like 5G in place to have all those edge devices be able to communicate together. So what powers the 5G devices? Coincidentally, a lot of it's going to be power over Ethernet. So that's the PoE thing, power Correct. over Ethernet, which is a low voltage. Correct. And can I say that it's a DC? Yes. Okay, so it's DC, low voltage, PoE. Uh, so we could say DC, LV, PoE. Oh, right. gosh. Okay, so direct current, low voltage, power over Ethernet. Correct. Yeah, so... That's interesting. But routers right now that you put in your home, some of them you have to plug the 110 cord in the wall, but some of them are getting their power over the Ethernet too, right? Yes. So you ha you still have to have an existing application for traditional AC built homes and businesses, which is 90 plus percent of the product offering. But there are wireless access points that are in our commercial buildings that you can power from a networking switch with PoE technology so that the WAP, uh, the wireless access point, is only powered with a single cable like we talked about earlier. Yeah, that's interesting. So 5G is going to give um, maximum Wi-Fi speeds and um, much more coverage. And essentially, can, from a layman's standpoint, can you say these are things you can just slap on a streetlight and go? Yes, as long as the power infrastructure is there and the networking infrastructure is there, then, then absolutely, it's it's as easy as putting a node, just like you put, you know, uh, an outdoor router in, in a location mm -hmm. on a exterior um, lobby patio area. or yeah, something. patio area exactly. Yeah, and so it's the same thing for these five G nodes. So, what does Dallas need to do so that in twenty thirty or twenty forty, the ten, next ten to twenty years, if we say in 10 to 20 years, we want the world to say, boy, Dallas, you know, they've been at the forefront now for the last five years. You know, what do we have to do to, to be at the forefront of a technologically advanced city? That's a great question. And, and I'm sure there, there are a lot of great answers, but on the, to piggyback on the 5G and the connectivity aspect, acquiring the data is a huge part. And so let's say that we've installed 5G nodes on every street corner and that we have all this, all this data that's flowing in. How are we using that data? How are we protecting the individuals that are walking from- Yeah, it feels big brother to, to a little bit. It certainly can get that way quick. Um, and so not to necessarily open up a new subject, but when Sidewalk Labs was working on their Toronto project for the city of Toronto to build America's or North America's first uh, smart city, there were a lot of questions on who's going to use the data, how is it going to be used, and how, how are we going to accumulate it, and how are we going to sift through all this data to determine what is going to be able to help us with what we're trying to do, and what, what's, you know, you need to have a data analyst dig into everything to understand, you know, just for the timing on streetlights, um, when pedestrians are walking, what the, you know, making an environment safer for, uh, for the streets, how, how do we process that data, and so there's a lot, once putting the devices out to be powered and, and be controlled and to take this data in is one step and it's a very large step. But then on the back end, we have to be able to process this data and understand how it's going to, to better the built environment around us. And that's, for me at least personally, that's the giant question mark. So it'd be interesting to, 
I mean, I guess we're going to run into some brand new intellectual property we already have issues, um, but who owns the data and who gets to use it? Right. Well, and to that point, uh, when it was Edison and Tesla, it was the war of currents, and now we're in the war of data. Yeah, yeah. And, and to the large extent, most people in the world have just given it away. Facebook knows every one of your friends and who you spend the most time with and all of that. So They know a lot more than that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's true. We were looking at uh, 345, and uh, there's studies that you can go to the phone companies and buy the data, and you can see, I don't know if you can see the individual person's name, but you can see who drove through that area using cell phone data of, you know, even if you're not talking on the phone, they can tell where you are and um, where you were going. Is that true? So I'm not sure if you've seen, we've talked about some movie references, but an enemy of the state with Gene Hackman and, and um, Will Smith, you know, they, back in that day, they were talking about triangulating your location right. based on cell phone activity. Right. And that was a movie that was released in the 90s. And so imagine that, but amplified in what we can do today. We can't just, we, we don't just look at where you are and where you might be going. We know where you're going because you can see the repeat locations on your phone with yeah. locational services. You know, it's very easy to ascertain with the right amount of data that I know that you're going to Chick-fil-A in the morning at nine o'clock on a Friday because that's what you've done for the past 10 Fridays. It's easy to use that technology to say, I know where you're Don't going. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> but yes, but so, and and I'm not proclaiming as an expert in that field at all, but somebody that reads a couple of quick articles on Google can easily see that your information could be used certainly for you and certainly against you. Yeah, but, but for Dallas to be a technology-leading city, we need to balance two things. We need to get as much data as possible because then companies will want to come here because then they can know more about how to make things work and how to make them better. But we also need to make people feel comfortable that their data is not being used in a way that's going to hurt their life and their kids' lives. Yeah, so security and accessibility are always going to be inversely proportional. Yeah. So we have to find that middle ground where it makes all parties comfortable and that's still being discovered and we have we have a long way to go but there are companies out there that uh, obviously very much focus kind of tying back into commercial buildings on cybersecurity. and um, could it also be a, a revenue source for the city in other words if the city puts 5g things everywhere maybe the city owns the data and someone then, has to and then they can sell the data but i think the Technology companies are just trying to get leases on the streetlights, and they don't want the city to own any of the data. They want to own the data. So it's a, it's like you said, it's another war. I believe so. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, for the person listening to this podcast, if they've made it this far, what would you like when they finish the podcast and they start to do something different. What, what do you want them to take away from this? I think that you kind of, you know, kind of hit it earlier is, is to, is to do something different and it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, a, a physical act. It can be in a way that you research in a way that you understand the technology that's coming up and how to leverage that technology to deliver a better product or a better service 
um, you know, we're in the world of millennials now, and and they want to work smarter, not harder, to a certain degree. And technology has been at the forefront. Yeah, I keep asking them why not smarter and harder, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think I think the listener can walk away with understanding that there's a lot of hope on the horizon. There's a lot of really cool, neat things that are coming out. But anybody that's gone to a consumer electronics show, for instance, CES in Las Vegas, uh, certainly not this year, but anybody that's gone to a consumer electronics show can see some cool things. But what are we going to use those cool things for? I think that a lot of uh, these manufacturers have delivered products that we don't necessarily have defined usage, usage cases for. And so we're trying to find what's cool with what's functional. And um, obviously there's a cost associated with that. And so a lot of developers tying back into the action control plan, um, you know, they're a little weary of, well, gosh, I'm adding a tremendous amount of dollars and scope of work to our buildings because now I have to add solar. I have to add maybe some wind. I have to add more data. And that's true. But as we've talked about, there are ways to um, better allocate those dollars elsewhere to where it becomes a wash. So if I'm spending less on labor, I'm spending less on cabling materials and things of that nature, and I'm reducing that peak power demand on the building, I don't need as many solar panels. And so it will work. And so if there's anything I want to still in the listeners is that there's hope that um, you know we have incredible companies moving to Texas that are technology focused. Name some of those people. Well, so uh, CBRE, not many people think that that's a technology company, but their global CEO uh, and his 2019 address to the company said, hey, I want to be the largest technology company in the world. And I think that that's an awesome statement. I'd love to see CBRE not just, you know, be the largest real estate entity, entity, but also one of the largest technology entities. And what we're talking about with the access of building information, that's huge. Yeah, um, I met with Ford Motor Company in Detroit a year ago, and they said, we're not a car company. I said, what are you? They said, we're an information company. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, information and data is, is the new commodity, as everybody's saying. Um, but yeah, so you have you have Tesla moving here as well, and you already have strongholds in Austin with, with Google and with Apple. And so uh, Texas is very much becoming a focal point for technology and for innovation, and even Hope Global, with their uh, so good development in South Dallas, they're uh, doing some really cool things in partnering with the city of Dallas and uh, sparking innovation there. And as we already talked about, Sinclair and what, and what Farouk and his team have done and are doing, um, he was so successful with that venture that Marriott has said that we want to build hotels this way, the way that you have done it moving forward. And that's very exciting. It's huge. Marriott is the largest developer from my understanding, globally. And so to have a very large developer buy into that technology yeah. and buy into that way of development is what we need moving forward. You didn't say this, and maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit, but we've done some other podcasts previous to this, and they were different, came from totally different places. But what they, one of the takeaways was their request for action was to get involved. Mm. It seems you've said that a little bit. Maybe I'm pushing that too hard. But um, when I say, what do you want people to do or to think or change their actions? How would you say that? Absolutely. The way to get more involved is to educate yourself yeah. and to, uh, to, to certainly hold my feet to the fire um, and discover, you know, what technologies are important to sustainability you know, certainly the city of Dallas thinks that sustainability is important or else we wouldn't have this, this climate control action plan. 
Uh, and so educating yourself is very important, obviously, to make those proper decisions, but also asking your company if you're in real estate, one of the best ways that you can contribute to, to bettering our communities is to say, hey, what technologies are we looking into? What sustainable initiatives are we bringing to, to the forefront of our company um, in the way that we operate and what we're doing out? You know, um, I just wonder if there's not a better title than climate action plan or even the word sustainability. In other words, there's almost half the people in America voted for one guy and the other half voted for another guy. And, um, you know, I think that to some extent there's lightning rod things. It just makes sense to me to use 30% less energy in my office building, right? So that to me makes sense. But I think maybe if we say it's a climate control plan that some people are just going to not look at it and they're like, well, I don't believe in, you know, climate issues. I think it's just a cyclical thing. I think it just makes, why, why, why label it climate control? Why don't we label it good business? Right? Well, certainly wellness and well-being are at the focal point of what the city of Dallas is trying to do and is doing. And, you know, to your point, the, you know, the word sustainability, if you had a room full of 10 people and you asked them, what does sustainability mean? Yeah, to I don't you? know what it means. You get 10 different answers. Yeah. Because to somebody that's, uh, you know, uh, that's, that has a medical degree, sustainability is very much tied to, tied to wellness and well-being and, and, and productivity and uh, quality of life. You talk to somebody else that's maybe in the automotive industry and you ask them what sustainability means, it's reducing carbon emissions and lowering our carbon footprint and going to electric vehicles. Well, as a developer, when you say to me climate, whatever, and sustainability, I think extra dollars. Okay. That that's you're not alone. A lot of folks do. Right. That's the word association that I get sustainability. They just want me to spend money so we can put a sticker on the building. Right. So, but what you're saying is, is there's more to it than that. And we need to be rethinking how we look at the cost benefit analysis, because if we're using power over ethernet and all our lights are led and we spent a lot less money on cabling, like half the amount of cables in the building. We didn't have to hire people at as high a labor rate to install it. And it could be installed a lot quicker and we save all the, the most of the alternating current risers. We just got back that amount of square footage that can be mm -hmm. leased instead of is, is gone. So it's interesting that um, you've given me some hope that this sustainability thing is not just a suck on profits. It's actually could end up being a way to enhance profits. Absolutely. And, and, and one of the, this is the way that I personally think about it is that when you look at the, at least in, in my lifetime, the final frontier of design for real estate buildings and homes, it is the sustainability frontier. And structurally speaking, we haven't seen that technology change. We have concrete, we have stick and brick and, uh, and steel. And, you know, we do have timber buildings that, you know, folks, you know, once again, to mention sidewalk labs, they're working on timber buildings. This is a more sustainable approach there. But when you look at the ergonomics of how buildings are built and how people interact with their built environment around them in an office, um, you know, COVID's changed a lot of that. And we haven't necessarily talked about, uh, about COVID and the impl implications with design and things of like that. 
related to COVID, but architects and interior designers have had to, you know, do a major pivot. Yeah. And so that's huge as well. But I do think that, that we have the facades, um, you know, of our buildings, we have glazing. Now we have dynamic glass. We have this, uh, this electrochromic glass that, um, not only can self tint, but it can also reduce the solar heat gain that penetrates the glass and penetrates our buildings and makes our HVAC systems work harder. But and that so, sounds really expensive. It is very expensive. Yeah. Uh, but just like anything else with technology, you look at a flat screen TV, um, you know, when they first came out, there was LED that was 4K. Uh, you'd laugh at the pricing now. If you uh, I think buy. I spent 7500 on on mine. I'm sure you did. And now I can buy one for a, I don't ten, know. a tenth of that. Yeah. So, but, but yes, but as far as which, what we're talking about on what's, what does sustainability mean and, and how does that apply to, to North Texas and, and the commercial real estate is that, you know, the final frontier of design is on the sustainable side of the equation. We have tremendous buildings. Um, our, our buildings that we've built, even brand new buildings right now that are by far and large still traditionally built. But if you look at them, the, archi the architecture, the way that the building flows, the way it was designed from the inside out, um, we're doing some amazing things. And, you know, I'd like to brag on North Texas, um, you know, for, for the landscape that we have, but, you know, worldwide, we're, we're doing some amazing things. And the sustainability is being driven. And, you know, you have Oregon with Portland and California with, with uh, everything that they're doing there. And you have a lot of that being driven in other countries, like we talked about in Ireland and things of that nature, where they have had to pivot for more sustainable buildings because of other restrictions that they've had. Um, Texas, we've been lucky. We have a ton of power providers, um, and you know that keeps the energy cheap. And so, when you have a opportunity to roll out solar on your project, you look at the payback period, and you go, "Gosh, this doesn't really make sense." Um, and it and it doesn't. And I've 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 worked with companies to to look at that equation of that payback period, that ROI, and you have companies that are using solar on tops of parking garage. Uh, applications, not because they want to use the solar for energy in their buildings, but because of ancillary benefits with solar, uh, because they provide a 30-year warranty on any, we have a lot of hail in Texas, and solar panels typically come with a very long warranty, and so if we have a hailstorm come through, now you have solar panels on the top of your parking garage that provide a pavilion area and protection for vehicles on the top floor, also shade and other things. And so I've seen applications for solar panels being rolled out that don't even apply to yeah. why, they're, why they're built. So yeah. Well, it, it, it all definitely comes down to um, you want to do the right thing for the environment and you want to do the right thing um, for climate and sustainability. But I think a lot of times people start penciling the numbers and they mm -hmm. go, the amount of money that we're spending has zero return. And so um, I think one of the takeaways for me is, is let's roll up our sleeves harder to figure out how to create sustainable practices, but that have a return. And it sounds like we're getting there. Absolutely. Uh, once again, the, the Sinclair Marriott and Hotel, uh, hotel in, in Fort Worth is a huge step in the right direction. So and are his costs three times as much? His operating costs, if you ask Farouk, uh, are even less than a third of what he anticipated. What, what about his capital expenditures? I don't necessarily have the details there, but uh, I have spoken with him before, and he compared the traditional high-voltage AC and the low-voltage, and the benefits of the low-voltage from day one uh, was a landslide 
to the traditional to, to in the terms of uh, cost benefit analysis cost benefit analysis but also the data and the more sustainable you know we talked about the life cycle of a building and how the operating costs of that building over a 50 or 100 year period the majority of vast majority of all the costs associated with that building are in operating and maintenance costs yeah and so if you can reduce those costs substantially if i told you that i could reduce your operating costs not even in a net zero energy building but if i said i can reduce your operating costs um, on the power consumption side and other things by 50 percent but it was going to cost you 12 percent more in capital costs would you do it and by far and large the answer has been no because we have a lot of merchant developers that want to build the building and then they want to lease it and they want to sell it and then the operating cost is the owner's concern um, and so there's been a little bit of a of a hiccup there because owners and developers do care about the sustainability play they do care about the about lowering those o m costs um, but it's not out of their wallet and so that's another thing that that if if there was anything for the reader to to or excuse me the listener to, to bring back home it's you know to ask those questions to uh, to your home builders and to, to the developers and say, hey, we care about this and help the city incentivize the developers to do it, not because they have to, uh, but because it makes sense on the dollars and cents. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I think there's still a gap there because merchant developers, um, builders are saying, I can do that, but I'm not getting paid for that. Right. So I can still build a building and sell it and make money or I can build a building a different way and sell it and make less money. It's very clear what they're going to do. So we have to bridge that gap. Right. The best analogy that I have for it is if you go to buy a luxury car and you go to, for the sake of the analogy, for, for, for buildings, if you have one dealership on one side of the road and one dealership on the other, essentially two buildings, they're both brand new buildings or brand new cars in this analogy. And you go to buy these cars or these buildings. And one car has the technology package. It has your Bluetooth hands-free calling. It has your touchscreen navigation. It has blind spot monitoring and all those things. And the other car, the other building, doesn't. But yet, in, they're in the same submarket, and they have the same price. Which building or which car are you going to go home with? Well, if it's the same price, you're going to go home with the technology car. Exactly. And so even when owners don't think that they're going to get necessarily more money in return for the technology that they install into their building, such as IoT devices and things of that nature, um, at the end of the day, their building is more valuable because they're making the sale, because they have the additional amenity if, of If technology. that drives the sale. If so far, sale. as of today, most of my friends in the development business don't think that it is. Correct. There are some you know, large corporations who say, we won't lease in a building that's not silver lead or mm -hmm. better, right? So those kinds of things are, you know, it comes down to two things. One, do people have an altruistic part of their being? And um, they're saying, I'd rather pay more for a Prius than I can pay for a different kind of car. The virtue sale. The yes. virtue sale. But, you know, if you run the numbers, the savings in gas does not make up the premium that you pay to get a Prius. And so from a total cash standpoint, the Prius, at least the last time I checked, Maybe I ran the numbers wrong, but it didn't. It didn't seem to make up the difference. I couldn't save gas over five years enough to pay me back for the the net present value of the savings over gas wasn't equal to the difference in price up front of the Prius. So, um, 
we we have to, I think, appeal to the altruistic side of people to say, let's make our planet great for our great grandkids. But I think an even better way to do that is to find a way to say, not only does the altruistic, the virtue sale need to take place, but let's also figure out a way to make it work monetarily. Absolutely. And, and so and that's kind of exciting. It is. And I, I believe the answer is there. Um, you know, we've already talked about, um, you know, the Fort Worth project and there are others. Um, if you look at um, what Edge Development did in Amsterdam for Deloitte, and I think 2014, they delivered, quote, the most sustainable building in the world. And um, the way that they went about it with the water, the way that they designed the building to capture the water runoff and all of those things, um, it's, it's an incredible design focus. And it shows that if you want to reach that goal, you absolutely can. And obviously, as we're talking about, the cost has been the number one factor in prohibiting that. But going back to kind of the, the car and the building analogy in the submarket, you know, I would love to see the numbers if a lead platinum building next to a, a very similar building that is not lead platinum, what sells for a higher dollar amount? And typically what, what we've seen in the commercial industry is that a lead building becomes so because the anchor tenant requires it uh, because of stakeholders initiatives and things of that nature, uh, stockholder initiatives. And, um, you know, they're, they're, are they seeing a return there? I'm not sure, but it's very interesting to see when you compare the numbers in a lead developed building or a well-developed building compared to a building that's brand new that did not go through those initiatives. Might actually be built the same way, they just didn't go through the accreditation process. I would love to see the numbers on what is an actual more value add to those buildings. Unless you know that information, I'd, I'd be Well, I, I don't uh, on an empirical basis, but on an anecdotal basis, um, I think that people say they'd rather have a lead building. I'm not sure when it comes down to paying your mortgage, people are 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 making. Um, there's just not enough tenants who are saying we have we can only be in a lead building. There's not buildings going empty because they're not lead. When there's buildings that are going empty because they're not lead certified then now you're going to see the change and, that's and, and it's coming. It's coming. I think it's coming, but, um, it's, um, it, what I got out of this is there's some tangible things. The POE, the power over ethernet to me is like the quickest, easiest. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, the TVs are plugged into the wall and they're drawing down a lot of power. And if they're getting their power over Ethernet, they're taking a lot less power. That seems to make a lot of sense to me. And I'm cutting down half my cable cost. So now all of a sudden, that is a pretty clear. So if we just take that and extrapolate it out through everything, I think it's a real exciting, real exciting time. So thanks. We've run out of time, but uh, thanks for, for your time. It's been very interesting. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. That's all for today. I'd like to again thank Scott Rorman of 42 Real Estate and Matthew Fisher of Tech Fisher Solutions for their conversation on technology and sustainability. A quick reminder before we sign off to subscribe to TrekCast on your favorite podcast app, follow Trek on social media, and check out our previous Trek Think Tank episodes. All of those links for the podcast, our social media handles, and the Think Tank episodes can be found in the show notes. So go check those out, and we hope you join us again soon. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.